He could be like my grandpa, just a lifelong learner and just kept getting degrees. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome, to be honest. Yeah, he's a smart man. Looks a little bit like Jigsaw, actually. Ah. Hmm. Maybe it was meant to be. You're going to be the new apprentice. Ooh. <laughs> Welcome back, dear listener. By now you're feeling helpless. By now you're feeling helpless. By now you're feeling helpless. It's episode 6 of Jig Squad Pod. I'm Jigsaw's health insurance agent, Z, and today we're investigating his latest medical claim, Saw 6. Opening once again on Halloween weekend in 2009, this film had one of the most lackluster responses in the franchise. Seems people were getting wary of the series after the previous movies. It's sad, really, because this installment of the franchise has some of the most direct commentary on American society, particularly the health insurance industry. It also has some of the most inventive traps and set pieces, and one of my favorite protagonists. It's kind of an interesting case overall, as we have Marcus Dunson and Patrick Melton returning for the third time as writer, but then we have Kevin Grutert making his directorial debut. Grutert has been involved in the franchise before this, however, working as editor of the previous five movies. So, as no one says anymore, he understood the assignment. His expertise does in fact carry in this movie, and after some time, public critical reception of the movie did turn, and now it's considered one of the best in the franchise. Rightfully so. But I don't want to get ahead of myself with the editorializing, so let's cover the plot. More than anything, Saw 6 is about one man, William Easton. He's a high-ranking employee of Umbrella Health, an insurance agency that operates like any other in the American healthcare system. The name of the game for William and his team is to find breaches in policy and deny coverage where they legally can, for their own financial sake. Not to say Umbrella is evil, necessarily, but it's no one you'd want on your side if you had a serious medical concern. John Kramer was one of those people with a medical concern, as you might have guessed. He turned to William, his primary agent, when he heard the promise of a new treatment that could lessen the mortality rate of his brain tumor. William denied him, like many others, and the matter was supposedly dropped. John, after all, has money. He could afford it himself. But the principle of the matter is what concerned him more. William doesn't come under the radar of John's jigsaw vengeance until after his death, and by that time, it's Hoffman building the traps. He's under the post-mortem instruction John has left for both him and Jill to teach William a lesson in the burden of mortality. Jill apparently has been involved in John's work for a very long time. She even knew Amanda when she was a recovering heroin addict. But for now, Jill exits the film with no love for Hoffman. The traps John has left Hoffman to construct are nothing if not elaborate. Throughout the night, William has to survive a trap that crushes you if you breathe more often than the other captive. Hector, the janitor, is sacrificed here. He has to choose which employee of his will live or die based on either their health or their social impact. He has to try and direct an employee through a maze of steam pipes, only for her to try to kill him and retrieve a key to a device that will kill her, but she dies. And finally, he must choose which two of six employees will die in a shotgun carousel. It is nothing if not a literal gauntlet of mortality and pain. One by one, they drop, and William is weighed with the burden of conscience. Though not for the first time. I have to editorialize a little bit in the synopsis by clarifying that there are very few points in William's character exploration that he does not exhibit regret for the fact that he is sentencing people to death, even before his trials by Jigsaw. We see him discussing the unfortunate penalty of one client's policy breach, and it is clear William does not relish the truth of the matter. But it's business. That's healthcare in America. Not to say that William doesn't need to be tried at the hands of Jigsaw's traps, but it's a discussion. It's a discussion of mortality and morality. And it reminds us of our roots in the Saw ethos. Anyway, while William is grappling with deadly decision after decision, Hoffman is on the move. He's planting evidence to point to Strom as being Jigsaw's mystery accomplice, but failing to convince his immediate superiors Perez and Erickson. It was almost a good plan, until they unscrambled Hoffman's voice on the Jigsaw tape, and shit hits the fan. Thus begins the Hoffman rampage of the franchise, and it is fantastic, it is violent, and it is stupid as hell. William finally makes it through the gauntlet and discovers two cages of people. One has his sister, a reporter that had been nagging Hoffman. The other has the surviving wife and son of a man he denied medical coverage. They are tasked with determining if William lives or dies. He dies. It is horrible. There is acid. There is slime. Just as the film is wrapping up, Hoffman is captured and put into his very own, new, improved, reverse bear trap by Jill. She tells him that John left one more envelope of instruction just for her. It's finally time for Hoffman to be tested. Credit where it's due, Hoffman manages to escape his minds and avoid his head being ripped in half, though not without an ecstatic facial scar and an over-the-top scream into the night. Fade to black. You can probably tell by my tone of voice that I love this movie. It is a lot to discuss, of course, but it's a fun discussion. It's one of gray morality and mid-stage capitalism and the effect it has on the actual lives of those living under it. 
It's also hilarious because Hoffman is the worst liar in history. So to discuss all this and more, my guest this episode is Shadia Amin. They're an Atlanta-based Colombian comic artist. Their past work includes two runs of Spider-Ham for Scholastic, with a third on the way. Keep an eye out for Spider-Ham, A Pig in Time, as well as Shiny Misfits, created with disability activist Maysoon Zayed, which comes out in 2024. And so, knowing what we know, prepared as we can ever be, let's get into the episode. Well, now I know they're not made by doctors and their patients or by the government. Made by the fucking insurance companies. Piranha. John. Shadia, welcome. Hi. How are we feeling about this movie right out the gate? I liked it, actually. I was like, holy shit, uh, this is good. Like, I saw the first three Saw movies. Uh, I actually saw Saw 2 first uh, for some reason. Oh. So I kind of unfortunately knew Tobin Bell was the, <laughs> or John Kramer was the bad guy. But the thing is that when I saw the first one, I didn't know the ending. So coming into the, uh, after I watched the first one, I was just like, huh, where is that guy? You know, <laughs> and as soon as they revealed that he was the body on the floor, I was like, no way. That is so interesting that you yeah. still got the effects of the twist, even knowing yeah. who that I mean, I guess you can't see half his face. That's I, I love that that's your experience with it. Yeah, no, like after that, I was like, okay, I I hate like, you know, the gore. I, I actually managed to now kind of like, I guess the synthesize is used to be one of those like, oh my god, it's bloody. I cannot watch this, but now I'm just like, ah, it's it's whatever. Yeah. It's fake anyways. <laughs> uh, plus, I think it's one of those, like, so over-the-top pain that it just does not affect me anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get uh, that. that. Because I know, like, that is not going to happen to me. So you've seen, I assume you've seen 1 through 6 at least, or how much of the franchise have you seen? I've seen 1 through 3, and then I haven't been able, I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to take this seriously, so I didn't see 4 and 5. Oh my god. Yeah. (laughs) I know, and then I came in and saw, decided to see 6, but like, the thing is that I've already been so exposed to all of the other movies in the franchise that like, might as well have seen them. Uh, So I do know what happens plot-wise, but I realized, like, even then, it doesn't do justice to a lot of the stuff that you miss during mm. uh, watching the experience. Well, I will say, as I've said on the previous two episodes of this, and I'll just say it in real life, and I'll say it again, uh, 4 and 5 are pretty boring and forgettable. We had a lot mm. of issues in the fourth episode of just remembering what happened, because there was so much that happened, and also kind of nothing at all. And then the fifth movie is mostly focused on why is Hoffman here? Who is this guy? So there's not actually a lot of traps in that one, um, which Mm -hmm. is regrettable in some ways. But it's interesting that you haven't seen that because they somehow directly reference stuff that happened in those movies, primarily with them explaining the Fatal Five, um, who were the main uh, trap victims. And I say that in Saw Five, which is Hoffman's first kind of like solo venture in a major way. But yeah, that that's really interesting. Well, so hey, contextless of these kind of uh, lesser, <laughs> lesser Saw movies, um, you still enjoyed Six a lot then. I enjoy Six a lot, mm-hmm. yeah. It was definitely like, you can tell, uh, what was the director's name? Uh, that Kevin Grutert uh, really, really loves the franchise. Like, you can tell there's like mm-hmm. a love uh, for it. I will say Costas Mandalore mm-hmm. really <laughs> eats his role. I think he generally was just like, if I could play this character for the rest of my life, I will do it. He just like enjoys it. Yeah. It's just it, like, like I bet he's just super nice in real life, but he's just such an asshole <laughs> as <laughs> as Hoffman. I'll tell you more about him because he's just such a dis- like, like I will like to call him like disaster baby girl. <laughs> he, <laughs> well, yeah, especially just like that pouty face he's making the entire time. Like, I guess it's his thinking face. <laughs> it's just I think it was it in, in, in Saw Five mm. that when he gets like pushed and the other guy takes the blame and he's just like tilt hits head like. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think the angle doesn't do him free because he just looks like like he's just like pounded by G force. Yeah. Oh my god. In that casket. Yeah. He's definitely um, the most expressive face actor probably in the entire franchise. But but th- but that's the thing. Like, but I know he can do subtle. I like when he's just like cheek ripped, screaming on the floor. But then also when he just like kind of mildly looks away and he can do the subtle thing. Mm. I I think honestly. 
if you put him with the right director in a non-sell movie, he could be great and doing other stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I know he's been working since this. This is my only interaction with him. Um, I, oh my god, I just found his Wikipedia picture <laughs> and he looks like a Metal Gear Solid character. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a really good way to... <laughs> yes, that one. <laughs> I know, and his hair is all this, like, uh, white blonde now. It's interesting. He's living his best life. That's Yeah, you know, more power to him. Yeah, to be honest. But yeah, no, uh, Saw 6, it's weird whenever people are like, okay, so which is the best Saw movie? I'm like, well, the first one, obviously. But Saw 6 is always quickly mentioned right after that, because even though we're this far into the franchise, and I think that there's going to be a stigma of sequels, like, how could the sequel be? comparable to the original but like six i really like it because i feel like it is despite the fact that it is definitely largely hoffman's work obviously john had a lot to do with the setup of these traps and i just feel like the entire conceit of william easton's entire trial and the the traps they're in even though they're larger than life in a way that the first three movies never were i think that they're really more in the spirit of what john was always about i mean not so much the rehabilitation aspect but just like you need to see what you've done to people yeah exactly like like i was actually mentioned uh before uh yesterday before we were recording this i told my mom that i was gonna be in this podcast and i told her like oh yeah so this is the dilemma and she was like like she clearly was like i hate that you, you you're watching this movie but like wow the dilemma kind of yeah. <laughs> like kind of yeah wow makes you think gross face <laughs> yeah i I will say my parents are very much like that, too. Um, I am currently wearing one of my many Saw shirts. Nice. But I was wearing another one to family dinner last night, and they were just staring at it. It's got um, Amanda's head and the uh, reverse bear trap is all, like, Oh, splattered. that is such a good aesthetic, though. Mm-hmm. I-, I love... I don't know, something about, like, Amanda's style in the first movie is just so iconic. Mm-hmm. Well, the third movie as well, I think that's kind of her strongest look. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I-, I think that middle point from... I think it's just the long hair uh, really makes her look so... Like, it makes her more icon- I- iconic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just the thing because they, you put her like in a red shirt. Mm. It's just like she stands out as a as her own character. She's part of like the of the John Kramer little cult that he has going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that you get to see the interaction of the well, the Jig Squad, the apprentices, and Jill and everything. Like it kind of felt like a crossover event almost because you're like, oh my yeah. god! So Jill already knew Amanda, and Amanda and Hoffman also interacted, and also Jill knows Hoffman. Like they all, it's this little pop. <laughs> this jig yeah. squad. Uh, and it was just like really interesting to see that because we didn't get any hint that any of them knew each other before. Like in four and five, it's kind of implied that Jill had no part or had no knowledge of John going off and doing all this. But then here you see that she was very much like complicit, but not active. But then she and Hoffman set up the final game together. And it's just, <laughs> it gives me the crossover like, ee, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like that they do explain like how involved everybody was. And I think it's just because of John Kramer's like, in a way it's kind of like those, I, I don't want to say cult leaders, but in a way it's just like the charisma that he brings because like mm-hmm. anybody else who would have survived his traps would have come to him the way they like Amanda did and uh, Hoffman did like how can you make people like him come back to you you know that was a question that I I keep coming back to because I, I like that they I like that in Saw 3 it does show Amanda starting to learn from him and like this is your test blah 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 and even in 5 it shows Hoffman learning the ropes learning the chains I guess to be more on theme (laughs) of like this is my philosophy this is why you do it but they never show well I was gonna say they never show that impetus of okay I've come back to you now but they do kind of show that in five because um Hoffman gets kidnapped by Jigsaw and he's like stop copying me you're a freak (laughs) yeah no you're killing and I don't like that okay (laughs) oh (laughs) which um goes nicely into one of my favorite I don't want to say this movie is like out and out funny but there are so many funny moments that I really enjoy oh my god there are so many funny please Uh, when Hoffman (laughs) just goes and kills everybody yes his rampage in the police station is so funny 
just like throws a coffee at Paris, like, and I'm like, oh my god, it's crazy. It's just like, uh, and I think for me, the thing that makes me laugh is just like, just realizing, like, my god, Hoffman, you're so stupid. He's so stupid. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, you don't realize, like, oh, maybe I should have used another, uh, a different knife. Yeah, uh, to carve out the people's pieces. Like, oh and then god. he's like so bad at covering his ass too. It's like, well, that's weird. Anyway. <laughs> For me, it's when, I think it was, her name was Simone, uh, the pound Mm, of flesh mm -hmm, trap. mm -hmm. When he just goes to her and she's like, (laughs) do you think you learned anything? And she's like, what the, like, like, what a way, like. Get this guy out of here. Like, like, no wonder Perez doubted you all the, like, I think everybody knew, like, I think Paris knew, uh, what, uh, what was his name? His, um, uh, boss knew too. Oh, Erickson. Yeah. Yeah, Erickson. I think they all kind of knew, but yeah, they didn't no. want to, like... Yeah, when they haven't cornered and everything, and you can see, like, he is 20 feet away, pacing nervously, and they're like, what's up, bud? And he's like, no, it's just, it's fine. I'm normal. And they're like, I don't think you are normal. And he's like, all right, sicko mode engaged. <laughs> you know what somebody pointed out, actually, that is really cool? Mm. The audio clip that they are constantly playing to this scramble is the one that's like, right now you're feeling trapped. Right now yeah. you're feeling trapped. And I'm like, oh, symbolism. Yeah. And that's why I think Gruger clearly has love for what he does. Because he's like, I'm going to do some foresight onto this shit. And yeah. it's going to be chef's kiss, even if it's subtle. Like, I like that. Yeah, no, I definitely, there's a lot of care put in, in this one. And it's interesting because, like I said, the writing team, Melton and Dunstan, they wrote Saw 4 and 5. And I don't see the level of sophistication with the plot with the dialogue with the characters in those movies that being said they are creating hoffman kind of whole cloth because he has no presence in the third movie or anything before but um it's interesting seeing the maturation of their skill Mm -hmm. and the narrative overall and i'm wondering i mean they are the only two credited for writing it but i'm just wondering if there was an outside hand or if it's literally just growth as an artist uh, as a writer i wonder like i think it could be growth as as a writer because for me the fact that well it's kind of like a a good thing and a bad thing because amanda was definitely frustrating me when the fact that she shot the doctor in saw three it pissed me off i was like amanda please like clearly uh kramer doesn't like her like that he clearly just wants her to change she's clearly going through some weird stuff because of you know the tumor in his brain and you're really jealous at her and then she shoot you shoot her yeah uh but then it is revealed that hoffman threatened to tell her that she was the one he was there when you know uh what's his name cecil cecil thank you yeah uh cecil (laughs) was uh she was there with cecil when uh he accidentally just hurt jill and gideon i think gideon yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and the baby like but at the same time like how did he know that how did he know yeah that's the thing like i i'm very mixed on that reveal like i like it because it does make sense in a certain way like because they kind of planted it weirdly in three and never came back i don't think that they had been planning from three that hey someone is threatening her but she does open the letter so that was kind of like an open-ended thing but you could easily forget about that and just be like oh amanda did this because she's very emotional she's very stressed she's very jealous of any kind of affection that John will show anyone else uh, for a myriad of reasons. So I believe that she would just give up and shoot Lynn just to be petulant. Like, I have no other choice here. This isn't going the way that I want. I don't have the emotional intelligence to deal with this, but I do kind of like that it's an explanation. Like, Hoffman hated her anyway, and he had this dirt on her. I, yes, how did he know? There's no way. But it does make sense in, in a saw kind of way that, like, yeah. well, here's an explanation. And you're like, wait, hold on, the explanation, though? <laughs> everybody has the power of foresight. It, yeah. It, everybody just knows how things are going to play out. That is just the saw world that we live in. <laughs> yeah. No, when you become part of uh, the Jig Squad, you get this kind of omnipotent intelligence, this limited o- omnipotent intelligence, because obviously <laughs> Hoffman's not putting it to good use in any real way. Oh, no, he, uh, he's just... <laughs> a stupid man he i think the thing that i will say is did disappoint me he's just like looking at the game and he's just like oh, i just lose because it's john's will yeah uh, that's why it feels instead of like i'm really passionate about this and i think that's why in the end he did not work as the perfect uh successor because hoffman came from a place already of revenge yeah no he 
He definitely does. But like, that's how Hoffman works. He's very utilitarian. He loves this idea that he is defining justice through this work, which is not John's thesis. His thesis is rehabilitation and fixing yourself. And Hoffman's like, well, you're punishing people, though. So like, I'm a cop. I get that. That's what I'm doing. Yeah, I got it. I got it from here. (laughs) You guys are dead. I got it from here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That being said, I mean, in relation to the trap itself, you know, this movie is not only about Hoffman. It's about one of my favorite victims, William Easton. I love you. (laughs) My God, I knew. I knew how he died, but I was just like, okay, let's see how it plays out. And I was like, oh my God, that is gross. It's off. It's really, really, it is one of the worst ways to die in these movies. Movies, I think I, oh, yeah. you know, obviously slow agonizing deaths are always bad, but he was stabbed. He's melting from the inside. You're not dying instantly from the hydrofluoric acid being injected to you. That is a slow death. And even with your bottom half severed, you know, you're still alive for a while until all the blood runs out and everything yeah. and then the trauma and the shock. I think he definitely died before the body went out. I think it's just because uh, everything, but oh my God. It I was awful. so mad at Brent. <laughs> yeah. He is such an interesting character for a teenager. Like, he is very insightful the entire time. He's obviously very emotional and angry. And I mean, I don't know if I relate necessarily. Not that I don't love my dad and I would be furious if, like, you know, he was denied coverage and all that stuff. Like, you know, the medical health insurance conversation throughout this movie is very relevant today. Very interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, we're not going to have a movie without flawed characters or characters motivated by emotionality, because then, you know, then there's no plot. He's an interesting character. I don't... I wish that he had a little bit more sympathy for William, but... You know? <laughs> I think he acted very much on impulsiveness. I don't think he came in there with a vendetta. No, I mean, you're always going to harbor some sort of resentment if, like, you could kind of pinpoint someone yeah. responsible for the death of a loved one, which was kind of the whole thing about Saw 3, too, with Jeff and all the people involved in his son's death. So, mm-hmm. in some ways. But that part at the end does piss me off a little bit because William realizes, oh, this wasn't my test at all. And I'm like, well... Here's the flaw here. That doesn't make any sense because Jigsaw is just offering revenge then rather than rehabilitation. I mean, he is offering the chance to forgive, but like, what have these people gone through? I mean, I don't think, I don't think they could, no, they couldn't see William going through any of the traps. So it's not like they're getting sympathy. They they did see. They did. did? Okay. Yeah. I'm misremembering. (laughs) What's her name? Tara, I think. Yeah. She was like, this is about your father. And then it like. That was one of those uh, dialogue trickeries. I don't appreciate that is really only serving your first impression of what everything could be. It was kind of like William on the phone with his sister, the way he was talking to her. You're like, oh, he's standing up his wife for dinner. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> Which you're supposed to. <laughs> but in in another way, it does make sense. It's like, oh, he's standing up his sister. That's the only family you have. But then it's like, well, I understand that we need a twist. It's a Saw movie. Like, relationships are being revealed. But at the same, I don't know. I I don't know if I like it or not. I guess I I accept it, you know? I accept that that was the It's one of those, like, suspension of the belief situations when it comes to some movies. Like, you you kind of have to accept that some stuff might just not be as rational as we want it to be or as thought out. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta just rock with it at some point. Yeah. Yeah, no, (laughs) and and honestly, I I think if you, if you're one of those people who, like, goes trying to, like, think of every single little thing and just try to deconstruct the song movies, I'm just like, you're missing the point. This this is goofy. Yes. This is fun. Stop. Bye. You know, let's have fun. Let's uh-huh. have fun here. Let's not start a podcast about it to exercise demons you've had in your brain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I'm just like, I can't uh, think it's uh, seriously, but... No. That being said, though, I mean, I think that these movies definitely have the depth to mine from them, as uh, is the conceit of the podcast, obviously. Mm-hmm. That all being said, you know, we have fun here. We 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 are here for the drama, for the gore, for the traps. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. Um, yeah. Like, I I think this is, like, the one horror franchise that I'm glad it managed to, like, kind of, in a way, come back from the dead. 
Mm, yeah, well, much like Jigsaw himself. Yeah, yeah, pretty much, exactly. <laughs> uh, because it's still, like, fun, and I think, like, it's one of those, like, as they try to figure this new era of movies coming out, mm-hmm. uh, I think once they find their footing into what they want to do, even if with a change of, like, you know, style and writing and just kind of situations happening, I think they're going to find their ground where this is, like, hey, a nice little October release. It's going to be fun. Let's go yeah. watch it. I really wish that I had been like a horror movie person and also of age um, and, you know, just in the right, the right time, right place to see these as they were coming out every Halloween. And that's kind of what I'm looking forward to with Saw 10, even though it's coming out at the end of September. I kind of wonder, do they have anybody from the old team, uh, like writer? Actually, yes. Kevin Grutert, which directed this one. He's directing Saw 10, or he directed Saw 10. Uh, music by Charlie Clouser. Thank you, Charlie. He's the one that composes all of the Saw OST. I mean, it's iconic music. Yeah, which, I mean, a huge, huge thanks, because that is the intro and outro of this podcast. I haven't said that. I've said it in the show notes. I haven't said that yet. Hello, Zep. The iconic music from all the twist endings of every single Saw movie, composed by Charlie Clouser. He has done the horror community innumerable good. I mean, if Grutert is going to be there, I think he can make it work. So I'm yeah. excited. Yeah. Um. So my question for you, uh, when you watch a Saw movie, are you like excited by traps? Do you say like, oh, that's a good trap. I love that trap. Or are you just like horrified the whole time? Uh, I think I'm honestly more like, oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Although, uh, for example, it was the paper trap with Debbie. And I'm just like, what was the point of that trap? <laughs> uh, like, I get it. She sucks because she's the lawyer of the insurance company. But then you've got to go and remove the uh, William's kidney because the key is there. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, and I'm like, oh, come on, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not a fan of traps that need other participants to die in order for someone to succeed. That being said, that is kind of the conceit of the bathroom trap with Adam and Lawrence in the first one is that they were kind of pit against each other because Lawrence was specifically instructed to kill Adam and Adam was just told to survive, which is a hilarious directive. It's also (laughs) Amanda's trap. She had to kill the other guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, there are a lot of traps that they force people to kill other people and then John Kramer is like, well, I, I didn't really kill them. You did it. And it's just like, nah, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, so I'm not a fan of that and that's kind of the entire thing with William's whole thing is that in certain cases, people had to die. Like, he could have saved his assistant, and there was obviously a way to get the key out of him without killing him. He said it. He just, just calm like, down. <laughs> De- okay, I will say this. Debbie would have probably survived. She has, like, extreme final girl energy. <laughs> so I yeah. think if she was the main protagonist, I don't even think nobody would have died. She would just, like, busted a wall and just got into Hoffman herself. Just, <laughs> <laughs> like, sheer anger. Absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, like every other trap in this, like the first one, the breathing trap, Hector has to die. That's not fair. I mean, it's fair in the sense that that is literally the lesson specifically catered to William of your actions are directly causing people to die. Like, yeah. and that's very specific to him. But overall, Jigsaw's mantra is like, you know, rehabilitation, human life has a meaning and everything. I don't want people to die in these. I want people to survive. And yet he constantly goes against his own thing. Yeah, I was- say that was like the one trap that made me kind of flinch when Hector's ribs popped out. Ugh, it's so gross. Oh, that was so... But everything else is just get people getting shot or hanged. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah, between that and then Strom's body being squished in <laughs> the final moments of the previous movie and then into this, uh, just a lot of squishing going on yeah, in this movie. Yeah, uh, there was also uh, that uh, inspector in the third movie, the one with the angel trap mm, yeah carrie like, you know, like mm. that was uh that one for some reason and also like the fact that she, the, her ribs got blown out i'm just like oh mm, i know and <laughs> they find her body in the fourth movie and it, it's been a while since then and i'm like that room has to smell crazy oh i need to <laughs> I, I, I i'm pretty sure everything in saw smelled crazy i don't know if i don't know if anybody shot like no it's a sweaty movie <laughs> maybe hoffman can't can afford his own place but yeah like, often jill obviously amanda and john probably don't make 
<laughs> um, but yeah, I think Jill is probably the most well-off. Like, we see her in her beautiful loft condo looking out over the city with a glass of wine while she reminisces about John. <laughs> it's established that, like, John is a rich man. He's just, like, he had all these factories and that's why you have so many, like, dank underground mm-hmm. layers that he has. But it's just like, oh, he just has a lot of money. He, and- does, he was a very successful real estate developer, engineer, civil engineer. Yeah, he built like a ton of factories. Yeah, yeah. Um, in Saw 5, they talk about how he was working with the city to provide affordable housing and everything. Like, <laughs> John is a good person. He was just pushed to his limits in a very serious way. In a very unrealistic way, but a very Do serious Do charity, way. but like taking to maximum overdrive. Yeah. Well, so that was something that caught my notice this time of watching it when they were flashing back to the benefit party. The first time that John and William meet is that... William was saying like, yeah, your job is to predict people's habits. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's a real estate developer. I guess he was alluding to his work with Jill's clinic. But yeah, they should have said he had a degree on psychology or something like that. Because yeah. they, they, they talk about how he's good at predicting people and how that's how he was successful. But I'm just like, hey, yeah, maybe he's a civil engineer with a minor in psychology or something like that. <laughs> Well-rounded. Uh, yeah. He could be like my grandpa, just a lifelong learner and just kept getting degrees. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. Awesome, to be honest. Yeah, he's a smart man. Looks a little bit like Jigsaw, actually. <laughs> hmm. Maybe it was meant to be. You're gonna be the new apprentice. Ooh. <laughs> um, looking back over my notes to see if there was anything else. Um, oh, well, I mean, just like the traps in this movie. Like I said, I don't love that they necessitate blood, but I do think they're very interesting, like I said, in the way that they're supposed to just teach William. William specifically, a very specific message about his callous attitude towards life, which I honestly don't think he has. It's a job. He has a job. He's very good at his job. Well, I like it when the victims are kind of morally gray rather than just an out and out bad person. Like the loan sharks, like, yeah, you're you're a loan shark. Like, but at the same time, like, oh, that's a job. It's not like they're like, how do I hurt people today? Uh. Yeah, but there's definitely uh, when it comes to that and the insurance stuff, you definitely have to have a certain lack of empathy, especially, especially when you're purposely putting people in dire situations. Like you, you need to have a lack of empathy or 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 at least like a let uh disconnecting yourself from like other people and i don't know because at least for me say how can you like sleep at night knowing that you could potentially put somebody on the street Mm -hmm, or potentially make somebody die because you're like oh yeah who told you to get them that's absolutely true (laughs) it's kind of like east of like maybe you should have thought of that before you were going poor it's like christ yeah legitimately I do like, though, that they show that even then he is very conflicted about his job because he doesn't like telling people that they're in breach of policy. Like you can see in his face, he's like, you're going to have to make me spell it out, huh? Okay, well, this is just how it works. Because like, especially with William, I mean, I fault him in some ways because he's like, hey, I'm really good at denying people coverage. haha. But at the same time, it's like, well, if it's not William doing it, someone else is going to do it. Exactly. That's how the American health insurance game works that like, it's not specifically William, although he has this algorithm of predicting risk and everything. So in that way, but yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it's a good critique on just the broken infrastructure of American healthcare that like, you know, the the solution is right there, but we won't do it because money, because policy, as William likes to say. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in this case, it's probably, like, I know um, Kramer told Hoffman to not get personal, but I'm at the mm. same time, it's like, you're getting personal because this is specifically <laughs> the guy that denied your insurance. So yeah. you are getting personal. Which he does a lot, honestly. Like, uh, the people that usually end up in his traps, I mean, going back to Lawrence, that was his oncologist, and he was pissed off at him. He was like, you're not taking this seriously. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, and then there was the Doctor in 3, because Gio was also his doctor, so she's like, you were kind of rude to me. And it's just like, yep. dude, like, yep. like not, not saying, like, you know, doctors shouldn't be nice, but I feel like at that point, doctors do have to have an emotional disconnect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to patients, like, they cannot be emotionally invested. So sorry, maybe she was just a little rude to you. Her son just died. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> she wanted to baby you. Be like, oh, little John Kramer. Sorry. I'm sorry. John Kramer. <laughs> 
Also, I gotta love the fact that he like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna make this deranged little doll. Yeah, yeah. For my son, <laughs> but I think I think it would have been like maybe a little bit more visually interesting if Billy the puppet started cute, and then he's like, I'm gonna fucking twist this bitch. Yeah, he was always kind of hard to look at. I don't. I mean, it's a fun kind of like meta character thing that like, oh, okay, all right. So that's just not your skill set. That's fine. We don't all have to. Yeah, it's fine. You know, <laughs> and I think that's like John is so good at so many things, but he doesn't know how to make an aesthetically pleasing doll for an infant. <laughs> yeah, I feel like sometimes things work better when they're cute, mm. but you know something is off about them. Well, yeah, it's like uh, Annabelle, the actual yeah, Annabelle doll. Literally, like your yeah. original Raggedy Ann doll. Exactly. Literally, I, I didn't know if I to bring it up, but yeah. I would be so much more scared if Raggedy Ann was looking at me with those eyes because the other girl would be like, no, she's evil, bye, yeah. get out, to the trash you go. I mean, I'm sure that that was just like a licensing thing that they couldn't actually put Raggedy Ann into the Conjuring movies and everything. I know, but you can make her cute, but not Raggedy Ann cute. <laughs> you could have tried to make her cute. Well, no, I mean, James Wan loves a creepy puppet. He said it before. And I mean, he's the one who built Billy the puppet in the first place, so. Oh, fair. Yeah, so he's always had this aesthetic. And also Dead Silence, we have to unfortunately mention Dead oh. Silence. <laughs> Silence could have been interesting. It could have been. It was just one of those like, hey, you guys are successful. You want to make like this package horror movie kind of thing? Like, they're like, yeah, I guess so. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> it's fine. I'm not doing anything else. And then he did Aquaman. <laughs> he did do Aquaman. No puppets, unfortunately. But they does have Patrick Wilson. I'll it does have it. Patrick Wilson. I love Patrick Wilson. Oh, so who doesn't? I know, right? <laughs> this happens every episode. We end up just talking about the extended Juan and Juanella verse of everything and how it's all interconnected. It's just they're so good. I, I loved it. I like I loved Insidious movie so much. Yes, yes. Oh my god. Yes. If you ever do an Insidious podcast, please let me be on the first one because I love the first one. We were talking in um I don't remember which episode, but we were talking like this is just gonna turn into a podcast talking specifically about my niche interests of Winnell and Juan's multi-universe thing because it's not like they don't have enough properties to talk about i could spend like an entire season just talking about insidious or more than that honestly the thing for me that i like about insidious is that you can tell that one uh because i think it's that really even though my family is big catholic family mm. they have told me as a child about astral projecting oh interesting yeah like my uncle he passed away a few uh, a couple of years ago but he was talking even about a time that he saw himself outside of his body while sleeping and he kept trying to grab himself and couldn't. Wow. And it was, like, terrifying for him. So we were, like, just talking about astral projecting. And my family, like, my parent, my uncle, my grandma had, like, this entire weird, like, knowledge about astral projecting. Uh, so when they brought it up in Insidious and they were saying, like, the exact same stuff my mom and my grandma were saying, I was just like, what the hell? That's crazy. Catholicism is so spooky. Uh, and I'm saying this as someone who grew up Protestant. Uh <laughs> and, like, I will say this. Yes. But also the aesthetic <laughs> is like, mm, ah, ah. <laughs> case, I will oh. say this. Yes, I love the aesthetic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like going back to Zaw because we kind of <laughs> went into the whole 1L1 universe. It happens. Like, you, I mean, even with these movies with both of them, like, exiting creative control and just executive producers, at the end of the day, you're always going to say that this is their franchise. It is. Like they they left such a mark on 21st century horror in a way that was so pivotal. And then Saw turned into this whole, like, entity that, you know, is very conflicting kind of reputation, I think. And it's just, it's so interesting to just, like, have such a defined place in history, I guess. Yeah. Um, which they definitely do. And I don't know how much they're still trying to escape that legacy. I, I know that they have a fondness for it. How yeah. could you not yeah. at this point? Like, it, it made your career. It was something that you really believed in. And I just, ugh, it makes me emotional. I know. <laughs> no, yeah, they are. It really does. Can you imagine how cool it would be just to sitting with them and just, like, talk about horror movies and just, like, deconstruct them? I want to. They just seem, like, also, like, really nice people. 
Yeah, all their interviews are really fun to watch because, I mean, they both definitely have adult unmedicated ADHD, (laughs) so you just see a lot of passion in the way they talk and uh, the way their minds are just constantly racing, like, I need to get everything out. And (laughs) I mean, listeners of this podcast will be familiar with that, as that is largely me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, I've been trying so hard to keep myself, like, not interrupting because I also get like, so let me tell you, and then I'm like, Mm -hmm. how we find this whole, like, diatribe about those two guys. Like, yeah, well, I love that people outside of myself have a passion for these movies and want fun. to talk this much. Like, I think it's a testament of like the quality of those movies because, like, you don't hear a lot of people talking about other horror franchises as much as you see ha- Saw coming mm. back and be talked about again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, like I said, I think it's the one franchise that got a nail in the coffin, but then suddenly just made a whole new resurgence. And I think it's because, like, a lot of people realize, like, oh, people still like this, but it, it yeah. just has to be, like, niche. It has to be its own little thing because it still has a very strong cult following that people want more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think just, not not to this on other movies, but, like, Paranormal Activity did do a dent in the franchise. But I, I'm just like, I actually do yeah. not like that franchise at all. I don't like Paranormal Activity. I love the first one. That one is probably my favorite found footage besides Blair Witch, but it does the thing that I don't like with sequels in general of like, here's the same concept, but totally different people that you've never seen before and everything. Like there's no through line. That's what's so special about Saw is that, yeah, it'll seem like Hoffman came out of nowhere, but he was in the movie previous to him stepping up in four. And same with Rig, uh, Officer Rig being the main character of Saw 4. Well, he was in Saw 2 with a pretty big role and he was back in Saw 3. And then for there he is they do that really same with amanda because she didn't just show up she was first movie yeah she was in the first movie she was a pretty important part in the first movie so then when she comes back well that holy shit you know like now like we're building something it's all building on itself saw is really good they must have like a hell of a thorough production bible because they are really good at remembering who's where what do we need to plant here what do we need like yeah because i think they were trying to get them out every single year they were able to be a lot more consistent than a franchise that like well you know three years later you'll get another movie yeah but in that same way, my criticism for these movies, like five, six, seven, Saw 5 was the last time we see a character being introduced before their payoff mm-hmm. in the next movie with Erickson. Mm-hmm. Because Erickson is introduced as Hoffman's superior. He's working with Strom, all that. And then he's in this movie and then obviously gets killed. And Perez was introduced in the fourth movie and then gets killed here. So it's like, there's that through line. But from then on, we don't get any new characters that we're going to see ever again. Yeah, And that's kind of refreshing because like you can see that with Hoffman interacting with other officers. They are named or they're gonna die immediately like the sound technician yeah and, and that's what's fresh it's like okay i can kind of feel the death of the franchise coming up but you know seven was supposed to be the last movie anyway they i mean they call it the final chapter yeah so. i, I kind of wonder <laughs> if now that saw 10 is gonna come out if they're just gonna try to kind of reboot it and kind of like what you do that they're gonna do like a new lore bible where like okay we kind of have to like reintroduce ca- new characters eventually to like kind of like just make like a whole new era of characters and of course you know they're gonna i think they're gonna have like a, a shawnee smith toby bell in it i wonder if they're gonna yeah. have um forgot his name the guy that plays lawrence carrie ellis, carrie ellis sorry <laughs> um yeah i do have to say unfortunately carrie has said that he has no idea if he's ever going to be asked to come back like it, it was saying kind of tersely you know people want lawrence to come back and you know they've been asking that for the entire franchise too and i don't know how much you know about this but the reason that uh he wasn't in uh the franchise even when they had to like flash back to the bathroom they had like some nameless extra face down on the ground carrie had some outstanding legal battles with getting compensated fairly for saw so he just stepped back from it okay very brief minor clarification because I didn't want anyone to get the wrong idea here. In 2005, Carrie Elwes filed a lawsuit against Evolution Entertainment, the parent company of Twisted Pictures, claiming he didn't receive the full compensation he was guaranteed. At the time of production, Carrie, as well as a couple of other actors like Danny Glover and Monica Potter, agreed to a net profits payment of box office earnings rather than upfront paycheck. However, then Carrie claimed to not receive the full payment of those box office earnings. Thus, the lawsuit. The case was settled out of court, I suppose to a positive end, because Carrie does return to the franchise. 
but that's as much as I got for you. In light of the ongoing WGA and SEG after strike, I didn't want anyone to get the wrong idea here. Pay your actors, pay your writers, pay your workers. That's all. And I, I just, I hope that that doesn't indicate any loss of love in his heart for it. Cause I mean, I met him and he didn't seem to mind talking about Saw with me. Like he was, he was very nice. It wasn't, he's such a sincere man. Like he's so genuine. I can't believe it's taken six episodes for me to start gushing about Carrie Ellis, but he is such a genuine man. Yeah. He seemed like a sweet man. Although I did love that interview where they kept telling him like all of these straps that he could just like get not missing which uh, <laughs> Saw movie was it that was just really funny. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame him for that. No, there's yeah. a lot to keep track of. And- he was close, though. He's like, oh, there's this ice strap and stuff, and it's like, uh, four, close, five, and he's like, shit <laughs> like i said four and five are pretty interchangeable <laughs> it's weird and that i mean and that's nice how like six rose from the ashes of those basically because like they honed back in on what is so great about the movie is watching a character story because that's what i love about the first movie i think Rutert said leave it to me <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes yeah um but this is a movie primarily even though it is you know more hoffman bullshit it is primarily about william's journey and he is such a sympathetic character i really enjoy him like i said he is kind of morally gray but with a lot of empathy and a lot of emotion and like the fact that he is so torn up about every single person that he works with that he put in the- he knows everyone's names he knows the custodian he knows the security guard he knows his immediate underlings like he he knows everyone's name yeah he's like he clearly cares for everybody yeah yeah and i feel like it would have been really easy for them to just like oh this is a detached boss he he doesn't even even know this guy's last name or whatever. I'll say they did Alan so dirty. They're like, oh, he won't be missed. And it's just a picture of him just like kind of having quiet time. Those pictures are so funny to me. Like the loneliest man in the world just sitting on a park bench. Chilling. <laughs> it's like, you can be alone sometimes. What do you mean that no one's going to notice? Hey, this is me saying everyone is noticed. All right. Yeah, <laughs> the, like those pictures, like maybe the guy wants to have a little coffee for himself. What the hell is your problem? I know, like he's fine. <laughs> he's okay. <laughs> well, it's it's just one of those trolley problems. That that trap specifically, the hangman's trap, uh, is just a trolley problem of like you got to choose one of them. Unfortunately, and emotionality is going to rule that. Like you know, it's a it's a mother. She she has a family. Look at all these nice Facebook photos we pulled. <laughs> yeah, and I think he um, probably had a little bit more like affection to her because that was like his direct assistant right yep Mm -hmm. yeah he definitely knew her a lot longer but um like i said i don't love traps that necessitate one person to die needlessly especially if it's out of their control i I think this is just to like kind of give william like a taste of his own medicine kind of situation (laughs) Um, pun intended (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah for me the the carousel trap was also which apparently i found out that people needed anti-nausea medication and that's a little bit funny (laughs) <laughs> uh I, I find it funny what was the name the girl the one of the girl the first one that survived uh she mm. pretty much had to be like hey you know my kids uh you i know them well please you've met them you know them and it's like well i mean of course in your in that position you're gonna pull out everything in your arsenal of like here's why i should live like the girl being like i'm pregnant and they're like you are not pregnant yeah that, that dude was just like cussing out everybody he was like no you fucking bitch you asshole and it's just like <laughs> god damn it. like it's one of those but that is also telling when like people's true colors come out when you're in a situation like that yeah we're all just like rats on a sinking ship at that point yeah. like doing whatever like someone was offering money someone's like no oh my god i'll do this for you i'll eat and, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and i think william just did not care when he was between the other last two i think mm-hmm. he just put his hand just because of like fuck it like i, I don't think he bothered. yeah he is so broken at that point anyway because like when he first gets to that door which i love the aesthetics of it like we were talking before uh, the episode recorded just the color popping of that red spiral against like the muted green door is so beautiful but like he just puts his head against it and he's like i'm so tired i can't keep going through this and i don't love gauntlet traps that make the victim just survive again and again and again it's like "Mm, yeah why 
why? Like, you know, they probably learned their lesson after that first one, right? Yeah. But, you know, we know that John doesn't actually want William to survive. He's just like, you ruined my life and gave me a death sentence, so I'm gonna torture you, and then you're gonna die. Yeah, don't <laughs> keep telling yourself that this is to rehabilitate it and teach lessons. <laughs> totally not, because you're kind of a petty asshole. Which I think he kind of lets us know kind of what his motives are right out the gate, or that this one's a little bit different, because William doesn't get a Billy the Puppet uh, video. He gets John speaking directly to oh. him. Which I thought I thought was really interesting. I'm like, ooh. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this time it's personal. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, I did not think of that, damn. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously I've been looking over these movies kind of more intensely than I normally do. I mean, like I said, I love Saw 6, but, you know, just thinking like narrative, film brain, meta stuff and everything. I was like, you know what? This is the first time. But it's because, I mean, I was going to say because they know each other. No, he knows most of his victims. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he just, this one was definitely the most personal for him. Yeah. Oh, I just had a thought. You know what? It's like, I've heard people say that, like, you should be more terrified of the killer that shows their face before they try to kill you because they don't think you're going to survive and tell anyone about it. Oh. You should be less afraid of the mass killer because they are banking on maybe you'll survive and try to report them or something. Mm -hmm. So John was like, no, you're going to die. I want you to see my face. (laughs) Yeah. But also John's dead at that point. So it's not like we can do anything. Yeah, I mean, I I think it was one of those, like, he was not banking on survival, but he might have not banked into dying. But also when he was about to get his neck sawed off, he was just smiling like, yeah, this is it. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. (laughs) Yeah. John is a very petty person. It's very obvious. He's very emotional. He's very angry. But this is just, I think, the greatest culmination of all that. (laughs) Yeah. Also, I gotta say, I love it and I found it so funny whenever Jill got that box. Yeah. (laughs) Why didn't the police like go through them? That's evidence. Like if this mastermind. Well, Mm. this is just the movie thing. She got that ad uh, from the lawyer that was like in John's will for it to go to Jill. Okay. But yeah, that's just another movie thing. But yeah, no, the box is very over the top and I love how much they try to bury the lead of like, well, what was actually in it? What was actually in it? Oh, it's just files. Actually, no, there's also a new, better, enhanced, reverse bear trap, and that's meant for one bitch. Yeah. No, I do love whenever she just, like, gets them, and she's like, mm, I'm so, re-. like, her face is just like, mm. She's so funny. She has the power to do what no one else does and actually kill Hoffman, and it's like audience avatar time. They're like, yes, get rid of this guy. <laughs> I mean, Hoffman is unlikable, but I love him just because he's just so, like, pent up on just, like, I'm gonna fuck shit up. He is hilarious. You can tell his heart was not at all in this sequence of, like, William's uh, thing, because he was just like, oh, I guess I, I guess I have to do it. Yeah, he is very single-mindedly kind of selfish in a way, like, if it doesn't actually impact him he's not actually because he's like well as an insurance guy it's not an actual criminal because you know cop brain talking i'm sure Mm -hmm. but yeah i like that hoffman's whole thing through this is like i'm gonna set up all the stuff and that's what i do i'm the muscle and uh uh-oh i needed to use my brain Uh uh-oh i'm caught now time to rampage although i will have to say uh i i did find it smart that he also immediately made that shortcut so the lights will go out Mm -hmm. like you're clearly like good in the moment thinking he's not really good at uh and also how, because he managed to freak himself from the reverse bear trap but bashing his head yes no huge huge credit to him that is an, a very smart solution to that he's very good at the moment to moment but he's not good at the like future yeah. like hey maybe i should try to do it exactly as as john no i'm gonna use a different knife for this guy i'm just like oh my yeah. god like please he's very bad at big picture stuff but I do think that he's very good in uh, reacting in... Well, I was going to say he's good at reacting in a crisis. He's still stupid. He's still stupid. Because another person probably wouldn't have even gotten in that position. But, well, I mean, it goes back to what John was saying to him the first time they met in, in Saw 5. He was criticizing the way that he had made a blade for this trap that he was trying to make look like Jigsaw. And he's like, you need to use tempered steel for the long haul. Are you in this for the long haul? And I don't think Hoffman is because I don't think he has it in him and he's on his path of destruction and (laughs) 
the legacy of Jigsaw is crumbling around his ears. And he's like, no, I, oh man, God. But also you can tell he did not respect it because the reverse bear trap was supposed to be a final test yep. for him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then he goes after Jill. Yep. <laughs> which is exactly like what John did not want. He's like, I want Jill out of this. Yeah. She's only gonna test you and that's it. Bye. He clearly does not care. Yeah, he's, like I said, he's very insular focused. And because yeah. Jill has wronged him, well, I don't care what John says she's gonna die and it's like you know john has always said everyone needs to be tested i was tested amanda was tested everyone gets tested that way you know if you got the right stuff if you got it in you and at that point he hadn't been tested so here we go this is your test yeah. and he's like i can't believe you do this to me and it's like man who voted for leopard party surprised when leopard attacks him <laughs> how could you do this to me even though he literally said it in a little recording box and i'm like brother yeah he was like you should have known. I tried to tell you. You didn't listen. Maybe if, like, Jill was like, hey, I'm gonna have to do this, maybe he'll be like, okay, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it if it's like, that's the alternate ending. It's like, hey, you do need to do this. It's like, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just give him a heads up. And she, like, when he survives, she's just like, yay! Yay, confetti! <laughs> <laughs> just him gashing. He's just like, smiling, bloody, all in the mouth. Like, oh my god, yeah, a little, like, Polaroid <laughs> of the two of them, like, survive my trap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh that's the good oh. ending then we never even get uh saw 3d <laughs> it's fine it's fine let's draw our own alternate ending it's like you want to go get dinner i mean i gotta patch up first but you want to go get dinner <laughs> uh, it's okay i have a nurse it's fine yeah right <laughs> and, and then there's just like random recording like chill uh, Hoffman, I-, I knew you guys will be together. <laughs> Maybe try to build a future and make the son I've never- all I request is just you make your future son. That was his intended legacy. It's like, can you cook me, please? <laughs> <laughs> I think we solved it. We figured out the secret narrative. Lee, what else? You won! We got a pitch for you! <laughs> hey, Saltan's looking better every day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think, I mean, if Grutard, who clearly is involved, I think I, I do hopefully, uh, they're gonna do their return to form instead of trying to be like, oh, we, we're trying to make some artiste. Uh, yeah. Well, you never know in the landscape of, uh, like, 2023. It's obviously so different from the early 2000s. And, I mean, I love, yeah. I honestly, I'm in this era right now where I'm just watching a lot of early 2000s horror movies because the aesthetic is so specific and gross and weird and grungy. I just feel like there's a lot of polish these days of like trying to, well, it's not just a horror movie. It's blah, blah. And it's like horror movies aren't just horror movies. There's always a motivating factor. <laughs> I think stuff like Hereditary and Midsummer definitely mm. made it like this needs to be the next goalpost in horror. But like, it doesn't have to be like, that is clearly like a whole, and a lighthouse. Mm. Like that's clearly <laughs> a whole different like genre of horror. And we can have artistic, I don't like calling it elevated horror because it sounds like it's right. just somehow better. Yeah. I like calling it artistic horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and you can have have artistic horror but then you can have shit like saw i want to have fun traps i want to see gore i want to see guts buddy mm-hmm. yeah. i, I want to have fun you know yeah you can have both uh i think definitely i do hope that grutert manages to recapture that aesthetic because i know what you mean but it's one of those like you clearly have to go out of your way to do it a certain way mm-hmm. yeah it, it's like a lot of the returning to 90s aesthetic but it's like not actually very authentic in the way that they do it like very heightened whatever but you still have like the clean digital polishing on it you're not filming on a shitty camcorder or whatever like yeah. that's that's where it really is we need to bring the slanted camera angles bef- the ones that battlefield earth the ruin oh yeah dutch angles hell yeah let's yeah, go yeah, thank you, dutch. <laughs> we need to bring them back yeah uh i think if they're done right they're done right but yeah i i think you can definitely go out of your way to make a digital file look like like a, oh yeah yeah but also film just captures like dust specs and like light rims in a mm-hmm. way that I, I either you really go out of your way to make it look like that or you have to yeah or you film on film which is fine because yeah. i view this like little chunk of the thing as like just a transitional period very literally in the narrative because it's transitioning into hoffman um hoffman trance
it's transitioning into like okay this is kind of the end of it this is we're transitioning into the 2010s now actually because it goes through that era i think that's what i like about the franchise and each movie specifically is so specifically of the era there's so much about this movie that i love that's fun i don't know that there's a ton of bad parts in this movie honestly i think that everything was pretty good <laughs> yeah like i want to see the rotten tomato score i was like oh this is like a, a, a bad no i had fun what the hell <laughs> that's why I'm always like, how do people actually feel about Saw franchise? Because, like, I just feel like anything that has 10 entries into their canon, how good could it be? <laughs> yeah. But I like it. It's a good popcorn franchise. It's a good sit back and think about it franchise. It's a good technical franchise. Like, it's just, it is wholly its own thing. And I really appreciate yeah. that. I I mean, I, I honestly do like it a lot better than... I don't know. I think for what it was and what it could be and for like, you know, we have to keep building upon this and upon this is really good. I find that, you know, the pound of flesh trap be a really good impactful first uh, mm. trap mm-hmm. to, wait, uh, to start the movie with. It does languish on itself, though, in a really weird way. It's just like back and forth, scream, 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 scream. And I'm like, okay, this is the opener. I don't know. For me, the actress that played Simone was just like so intense. Yeah. And I was like, girl, you, you rock. You deserve to be in more movies. Yeah. Yeah, no, she she is really good. She's very expressive. I just, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I love that this is kind of the, the formula of starting with a cold open kill. Yeah. I like that. And I yeah. like their head traps that they're wearing, too, because the aesthetics of the screws and everything, like, that feels very original to the canon of the reverse bear trap, but also the Venus fly trap. Like, it, it feels like John must have made oh, this. the Venus fly trap was so good. Yes, that's actually, I don't yeah. like saying that I have favorite traps because I'm like, well, I don't like watching people die, but I am interested in the method and everything. And it could you get out of this? And I do like the Venus flytrap. Uh, for me, in the Pound of Flesh Punishment, <laughs> you have to throw like your piece into this small funnel that is behind a screen door. And for me, I was just thinking like, oh my God, what if I somehow accidentally missed the funnel and it falls through? Missed it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh God. <laughs> or, 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 or what if Eddie was, the one Chubbis' arm and then it, the arm did not fit through the funnel. Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, again, this is a Hoffman trap, so in the in the meta sense, it's like, yeah, of course it's stupid. Hoffman did it. <laughs> yeah, that one, I mean, like, I like it at its core, because it's like, oh, yeah, they're lone sharks, pound of flesh. You know, it's all very narratively sound and everything. But I think also the fact that he goes to visit her and do, like, a post-interview, like, so how do you feel about that? Yeah. Did you, like, if you had to rate this, like, out of five... <laughs> Like, he's literally looking for a Yelp review from her, and she's like, get the fuck out of here. Please, I, I need my approval. Like, I, I need I need to know I did a good job. And she's, like, clearly trying. He's like, looking oh for God. just, like... <laughs> he's looking for validation in the most oh, stupid way. No. Like, way to make yourself suspicious, you moron. God, yeah, he's and he's not even, like, asking her, like, a cop about it. Like, <laughs> it's just very... It's very yeah, weird. Yeah, like, is there anything you can remember? You cannot ask a normal question. No, he he's too jigsaw-pilled at this point. He's in too deep. <laughs> He's completely forgotten about his whole cover. But also him just like sitting around the police precinct listening to Eddie and Simone screaming on the tape was comical. Like, you weirdo. Yeah, like, what are you doing? Are you learning or are you just like hearing the screams? He just likes hearing their screams. I know. He is in it for the brutality. He has learned nothing because he was not tested. But also he is a stupid man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. One part that was funny was when Huffman was looking at Tara and Brent. Mm -hmm. And then he looked at the pictures of the post out the pictures of them to confirm like yep that's them like my god can you imagine if he fucked it up (laughs) it's like William gets down there and he's like I don't know who you are and they're like I don't know who you are either oh shit I misremember them yeah I mean that's just more of like how stupid and how much he has to telegraph his every thought I'm not gonna say that that's Costa's fault like I I think that that was just like yeah just how it came to be yeah Hoffman is just I don't trust him with any of this like I, I yeah I think that he needs a lot of 
adult supervision to get the job done. But we love him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Legitimately, four through seven would be nothing without Hoffman. And I'm glad at least that, I don't even want to say protagonist, I'm glad that the main character is someone who's at least interesting to watch. But if we had a slick, competent, badass guy who knows all the rules, I mean, it would be conflicting in our hearts, I think, with Jigsaw. It's like, no, we should all be noticing Jigsaw's absence. And Hoffman is a great way to do that because he is the antithesis Mm -hmm. of everything we like about Jigsaw. He is stupid. He is bad at everything. Nobody likes him. (laughs) Yeah, nobody likes him. I think even Jill and Amanda probably will have like a quiet respect to each other. But like, it's perfect fodder for fan fiction too, which a lot of it does like not even in a shipping sense, but just like investigate like, okay, so what would this group dynamic be like? What's the group chat? Yeah, that's why I mean, I got a lot more excitement this time seeing everyone interact. Just I forgot. And it was just very exciting, like taking these movies very slowly, one yeah. at a time, and then you see they all converge. You're like, they all knew about each other. Oh, that's so crazy. Oh, I, I really enjoy it. Like I said, there's not really a lot of bad parts about this movie. It's just fun. It's a good fun time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it is It is a great time. I, I'm definitely going to watch four and five and then the final chapter just so I, um, you know, yeah. have fun watching them just for a little bit and wondering if I should like at least, at least watch Jigsaw. You and might as well. Yeah. Yeah. Skip spiral yeah and also i kind of want to prep for salt x so i'm definitely going to be watching all of them mm. all right so i will end this then by asking you what i ask all my guests going through all this are you part of the jig squad yeah <laughs> yeah oh yeah. yeah putting on the pig mask getting in the traps let's go <laughs> let's go Let's go. Should probably be a Halloween group costume. Mm, yeah. Oh. oh, I always love seeing cosplays out in the wild. Yes. Yeah, and I'm very surprised that I haven't done it. I will say that my husband dressed up as uh, Billy one year. I dressed up as Adam. Uh, it was nice. very cute. Yeah. <laughs> he liked being a little weird little guy running around with the makeup on. I love it. I yeah. love it. And that's our episode. I want to thank Shadia again for coming on the pod. Remember to keep an eye out for their upcoming releases, Spider-Ham, A Pig in Time, and Shiny Misfits. I also want to thank you, dear listener, as well as my supporters on Patreon, especially those in the Rat King and Rat God tiers. Zero Sweet Bun Zero, Brodinsons, Duck, L, Gone, Jack Hawkins, Kate, Katie Reitzel, Little Alternative Girl, Marguerite Kenner and Alistair Stewart, Sherry Michael, Tony Pepperoni, Visiting Fan, and Wes S. If you'd like to become a patron and get these episodes a week early, as well as other content such as art and life updates, you can find the link in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Lil Nan and the show's Twitter at JigSquadPod. And until next time, this is JigSquadPod signing off. Game over. <laughs>